you're listening to a podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. This is week five of our identity series. We hope that this message encourages you to grow deeper in your understanding of who you are through the eyes of Jesus. Good morning, Gateway. Good morning. It's great to have you with us in church this morning. I want to encourage you to keep going with those conversations after the service. You might want to jump into the coffee shop or maybe you can catch up at the Thanksgiving stand as you sign your name up with somebody that you've been chatting with this morning to serve next week. Welcome. Today, uh, we're continuing our identity series from the book of Ephesians, and we get to chapter five today. Uh, And in this chapter, Paul is trying to help us to understand how we live in this world as God's chosen holy people. And I reckon if there's an easy way to sum up chapter five, Paul's essentially saying it should be the goal of every follower of Jesus to be like dad. Every follower of Jesus to be like dad. He says in uh, verse one, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children. I love it in some of the other translations where it says be imitators of God as his dear children. Now, this is a picture of my dad. He's a good-looking man, isn't he? I like to think that I imitate him in the looks because I think he's pretty good-looking. But as a kid, I wanted to imitate my dad. All right, my dad has a really good singing voice and he would sing loudly in church every week. So as a kid, it was my goal to imitate him and sing just as loudly in church. Now, there were two people who sung loudly in church. There was my dad and Mrs. Fell. One of them was in tune and one of them wasn't. Let's just say I hope when I belted out all the hymns of a Sunday, I sounded more like my dad as I imitated him. But it was a good competition. Now, when my dad was teaching my brother how to kick a football or or, uh, play cricket in the backyard, I wanted to imitate him. I'd be out there learning to, to kick the football for hours And I'd be out there trying to work out how to keep my eye on the ball and bowl a good ball and hit a six. I wanted to imitate my dad, so I learnt to play cricket and football in the backyard. My dad loves to play golf. And wanting to imitate my dad, by the time I was 13 and big enough, I decided to go and play a game of golf with my dad. And I'm proud to say that on that first hole, I got par. I got par. Thank you very much. That deserves a round of applause. Because by the second hole, I think I had scored as many strokes as you could get in a whole round of golf, and that was just trying to get the ball off the tee. My dad was very kind and gracious, but I decided there and then that I was not going to imitate him when it came to playing golf, and I have never played it since because it is a stupid game. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Paul says, as God's 
dearly loved children follow his example, imitate him. Ephesians 1 verse 4 that we read in the first uh, week of this series says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. See, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that God raised him from the dead and you've accepted him as your Lord and Saviour, then God declares that you are his children, that you are loved, that you are favoured, that you are blessed. And hear this, that you are holy. You are chosen to be holy and blameless. You are holy. See, holiness is a, a gift that you receive when you put your faith in and trust in Jesus. It's a, you receive that gift of righteousness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is Christ's spirit in me. And we're called to live out a holy life, not to earn God's favour or love, but in response to this generous gift that he has given us by living a life that imitates God and his holiness. See, how you see yourself will determine how you live your life. It's why this series has been so important. How you see yourself will determine how you live your life. Do you see yourself as God does? Chosen set apart, holy. Everyone say with me out loud, I am holy. Ready? I am holy. If you're online, type it in the chat. Try again with conviction. I am holy. Who felt like an imposter right then? Who struggled to say out loud, I am holy? I bet that was hard. It's hard for me. It's hard to declare with confidence when we don't feel holy. We feel anything but. I mean, you might have driven to church this morning and you've got the kids in the back and they're fighting and you've got to turn around and say, stop fighting. We're on our way to church and you had better behave yourself. Anybody else? Or maybe you've just had to sort of have a bit of an argument with your husband because he's running late this morning and you have to get to church on time. To say I'm holy can be so challenging when we don't feel holy. We feel like an imposter. Or maybe you feel like you haven't done enough to earn the label of holy. Like we have to earn our holiness through our good works. You know, every other religion in the world teaches that you have to earn your acceptability and your holiness. But God says he gives it to us as a gift. Or maybe for you to be holy is, is something that you don't see as desirable or attractive. It brings to mind images of stained glass windows, very stuffy and holier-than-thou people carrying their big black Bibles to church. And you think, oh, that's not me. You know, the Greek word for holy is hagios. And it actually means different. 
unlike, set apart, other. You see, God is holy because he is perfect. He's pure. He's sinless. He is different from our sin-filled world. He is holy, set apart, different. And his call is for us to be transformed, to be more like him. As children of God, we are set apart. We are made different. We are made holy by God's power and grace, not through anything that we have done or earned. It's hard to live a holy life in this world. It's hard to live a life that is set apart, a life different from the world in a culture that says we should be free to express ourselves and our feelings and our desires in our own pursuit of happiness. A culture that says if I resist or reject those feelings, I'm actually going to do harm to my identity. So just do what feels good. This way of thinking, however, isn't a new phenomenon. Paul is talking to the church here in Ephesus in a city that celebrated promiscuity. They'd built a temple to the, the goddess Diana, who was the sex god, and it was normal for men to sleep with the prostitutes from the temple. It was abnormal to actually have only one sexual partner. And in this culture, Paul says to the church, and I believe he says to us, he says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity or greed. Don't go near it. Have nothing to do with it. Flee from it. Lust for money and sex outside of marriage are cultural norms, but these things are improper, Paul says, for God's holy people. The problem was that this behaviour and thinking was starting to be embraced by parts of the church in Ephesus. They were abandoning the hope and the purposes of the life in Christ and they were finding themselves in Ephesus. So Paul reminds the church of their identity in Christ. They are people who should live according to the spirit within, which is true wisdom that ultimately leads to thanksgiving, joy and life rather than reducing their identity to the impulses of the flesh, which he says is foolishness. You are chosen to be holy. Therefore, live a holy life. You were chosen to be holy. Therefore, live a holy life. Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 
You know, this isn't an invitation to suck the joy and fulfillment of life away. It's actually an invitation to discover a new, more fulfilled, a better life. Now, one of the great narratives and deceptions of the enemy is that Christianity is like a, a straitjacket that's designed to rob you of fun and fulfillment, adventure, joy, and experiencing the best of life. But what does Jesus say? He says the opposite. He actually says the thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Who wants some of that? Amen. He knows what's best for us, best for our relationships, best for our marriages, best for our families, best for our finances. A holy life is a better life, not a lesser life. Let me say that again. A holy life is a better life, not a lesser life. And Paul is calling us to be intentional about our walk. To walk is not passive. It's not just a sit back and wait for something to happen kind of attitude. It's active. It's intentional. It's on purpose. And it's distinctive. Walks are distinctive. Let me give you a few examples. Now, work with me here and make sure you call out really quickly. But tell me whose this distinctive walk is. Thank you, Michael Jackson. You know, I was a teenager in the 80s and I still haven't perfected the moonwalk. But even as bad as that was, you still recognised that distinctive walk. What about this one? A soldier, thank you. I didn't think that one was too hard, but okay. What about this one? Last one, I promise. I'm terrible at these. Oh, thank you. Charlie Chaplin. I would have accepted Penguin or Charlie Chaplin. Both look much the same. But they have distinctive walks. And Paul says that our walk as God's children needs to be distinctive, set apart, holy, we're to lead distinctive lives in the way that we walk. First of all, I believe in this passage there's three ways that he helps us to understand how to walk distinctive lives. The first one, as we imitate Christ's walk, is to walk in love. In verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, walk in the way of of love. Remember, it's not passive, it's active. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, the type of love Paul is talking about here is agape love. It's a love that's countercultural to the love that we, we know or that we think we understand. It's a love that's different to the way that the world views love. It's a love that isn't born on emotions and feelings or attraction, but it's a love of choice, a love that's unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greatest good of others, a love like Christ's. 
that chose to give himself up for us, who walked towards the cross for us. And here's a, a photo of my grandchildren and my husband. But it's a little bit like the love that we have for our kids and for our grandchildren. I would give myself up for them. And it was just a really good excuse to be able to say our second grandson was born last Saturday and to show off a photo of him. <laughs> Little Freddie J. Dean was born last Saturday and he is absolutely beautiful. I love these kids with every fibre of my being. And they've done nothing to deserve it except be born into my family. I mean, Freddie doesn't offer me much back. He just lays there and sleeps or poops or cries if I can't give him the food that he desires. Aurelia is old enough to give some love back, but she also offers me stinky nappies to change because she knows that I'll change them every time. Grandpa won't, but Granny will. It's a sacrificial kind of love, unconditional, agape love. And when we've experienced the unwavering, all-encompassing love of God for ourselves, it should fill us with a desire to love others in the same way. Because loved people love people. Loved people love people. You know, those who have truly experienced the love of God for themselves are the most loving people that you will ever meet. Let me ask you, how would those in your sphere of influence respond if they were asked if you were the most loving person that they'd ever met? What could that look like? What would it look like to walk in love towards those that are really challenging to love? The boss who just loves to make things difficult for you at work that friend who kind of grates on you at times, the husband who doesn't treat you with the love and respect that you desire, or let's face it, doesn't pack the dishwasher the way that you want him to. That one I can teach you how to love. But you might say, Susan, you don't understand. They really don't deserve it. Exactly. They don't deserve it. And neither do you. But while we were still sinners, while we didn't deserve it, Christ walked in love all the way to the cross for us. There was a cost for Jesus when he walked in love for us. And there's a cost for us when we walk in love towards others. So here's my challenge for you. And it is a challenge that'll cost you something. As Tim said, next week is Thanksgiving Day here at Gateway, and it's a great opportunity to, to bring our red bags full of groceries and to be able to bless our care centre and those in need over the year to come. But Thanksgiving and generosity is not just today. It's part of the lifestyle that we are called to live at our Christian faith. And it's modelled by the way Jesus walked, with extravagant, generous, self-giving love. 
And as Tim also said this week, we are introducing a new concept called Heart Week. And in some of the campuses, they're going to have some really practical campus-driven expressions of love. But for everybody, there's an opportunity every day this week to take up a challenge. You can jump on our social media, make sure you're following us, because each day you're going to get a prompt onto what that challenge might look like. I'm going to give you a few heads up, though, because each of those challenges we've made in uh, an acronym or a acrostic poem. No, it's not really a poem. It's an acronym of the word HEART for Heart Week. There's, that's easy to remember. So let's start with H, hospitality. Who can you walk towards to show hospitality this week? buy someone a coffee, cook somebody a meal. There's been so many seasons, challenging seasons in our life where somebody's cooked us a meal and it's been an incredible blessing. What might seem small to you is an incredible encouragement to somebody else and a way of showing love. E for encourage. Ring somebody and encourage them. Or after church, go and eye to eye, encourage somebody. Or you could actually do something extravagant this week. You could actually walk towards a mailbox. That would mean that you have to get out a piece of paper, write an encouraging message to someone, find an envelope. It will cost you $1.10 at the post office and then you walk with your encouraging letter to the post box and post it. Imagine if only 150 people in our congregation took up the challenge to write a beautiful note, an encouraging note to somebody. 150 people in their letterbox get a beautiful, encouraging note rather than a very discouraging bill this week. Wouldn't that be awesome? Why don't we take up the challenge? And if that's too hard for you, sure, send a text. A, ask. Why don't you walk across the road and ask your elderly neighbour how they're going, if there's anything that you can do for them. R, random acts of kindness. Have fun with this one. Be creative. Find someone to bless. Some random act to help someone. Maybe it will be walking a lawnmower over somebody's lawn for them this week. Maybe walking to the counter and paying for a stranger's coffee. Coffee is always an act of love. Find a random way to bless somebody. Tea, Thanksgiving. Give thanks to God for all that he's done. He's done so many good things for us, hasn't he? Give thanks to God. Then grab your red bag and walk around the supermarket to fill your red bag and bring it next week to Thanksgiving Day so that you can continue to share the love and the blessings with others. Are you willing to take up the challenge? Find something during this week. And we want to really encourage you to grab the hearts that are on your chair and take a photo of the random, no, it doesn't have to be random, the act of love that you have done this week to bless somebody. Now, this isn't about giving glory to yourself or going, oh, look at me, I've done a, a great act of kindness this week. 
This is about sharing the stories, encouraging one another in the ways that we are reaching out in love to those around us, walking as Jesus walked in love. So you might want to, for instance, if you've made a meal for somebody, get your heart, put it on the meal and photograph the meal. Hashtag Gateway Heart Week. Let's out hashtag each other this week. Is that a word? Out hashtag. It is now. Let's do some random acts of kindness in loving people in our community and sharing the stories together of how we are reaching out in love this week. If you're part of Gateway Online, we'd love for you to be a part of this as well. Make sure you hashtag Gateway Heart Week and maybe you can hashtag or tag or whatever you do your location. Let us know where it is that you're blessing um, those in your community. Paul encourages us to live as holy people by walking in love as Jesus did. And he says that we also need to walk in light. Paul contrasts numerous times uh, in this letter to the Ephesians what their identity was like before Christ and what it was after Christ. They were dead in their transgressions. And now they're alive in Christ. The old self was corrupted by deceitful desires, but the new self is being created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And in chapter 5, he says, You were once darkness, but now you are light. Light in the Lord. Light and darkness are often used in Scripture as metaphors for good and evil, chaos and order, joy and sorrow, truth and untruth. You were once evil, but now you are good. He's saying you were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. So because you are light, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light, the fruit that should be growing in us because of the light of the spirit within, for the fruit of the light consists of in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Don't keep company with it. Don't be tempted by it. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it said, wake up, sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Don't keep sin in the dark. Expose it to the light and Jesus will give you power over it. James says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We're to confess our sins to God and to one another so that we may be healed. When you keep your sin in the dark, it will continue to have power over you. But by bringing it into the light, 
You will be saved from it because light always defeats darkness. Amen? Light always defeats darkness. There were those in Paul's time, just as there are now, who argue that Christian standards are too demanding, that people must be allowed to live as they want, but they don't realise it's a false perception of freedom that will only bring them back into bondage to sin once again, back into the bondage of guilt and shame back into this life of darkness. Whatever sin you keep a secret will keep being your master and will keep you from being fruitful. Whether it's a sin that's as obviously shameful as Paul is addressing here to the Ephesians, sexual immorality, lust, maybe addiction to porn, having sex with someone who isn't your husband or wife, greed, dishonest financial gain, or whether it's the sin that we justify as more acceptable, like gossip or slander, it's kind of okay. All sin that is kept in the darkness will keep being your master and will keep you from living the fruitful life that you were created for. You need to shine a light on the sin and show up the darkness for what it is. Some of you are living as slaves to sin, and you need to walk towards an active step, walking towards a trusted person to confess your sin and your struggles to. It will cost you something. It might cost you a, a bit of shame, a bit of pride, a little bit of pain. But there is healing and freedom in these courageous steps as you walk towards that trusted person. There's freedom. So to intentionally imitate God... To walk out our identity in him, Paul encourages us to walk in love, to walk in light, and lastly, to walk in wisdom. He says, be very careful then. Now, he uses this word careful uh, in the translation. It's actually an emphasis on the need for utmost concentration. Okay, don't be blasé about this. Don't be blasé about leading an irreproachable life. Concentrate. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which is another word of saying indulging in sexual pleasures. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Live wisely. Live intentionally, making the most of every opportunity. Understand what the Lord's will is by being filled with His Spirit. 
To have the wisdom and understanding of God, we need to be filled with his spirit and we need to keep on being refilled because then we will bear the good fruit that the spirit brings. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You can't live this life in your own strength or through your own will. And God never asks you to. He's always intended for you to live out of the power of His Holy Spirit within that was gifted to you at salvation. And if we ask Him, God is willing to give us all the wisdom that we need to walk as His holy children. And maybe it's simple as starting your day as you sit and soak in Scripture. You can pray some really simple prayers Asking God to give you wisdom. God, in my relationships today, help me to understand that everything that I do and say matters as I imitate you. God, in my work today, help me to make wise decisions and act respectfully because everything that I do and say matters as I learn to imitate you. God, help me today in the choices that I make with my finances because what I do with my money really matters as I learn to imitate you. God, help me today to imitate you in the way that I walk in love, in light and in wisdom so that I can live the life of holiness that I was chosen for that I was saved for. Simple prayers, but a way of learning to rely on the wisdom and power of the Holy Spirit as we live out the holy lives that we were called to. Now, Paul says the key to living a holy life is to live a spirit-filled life. And he never expects us to do it on our own. I wonder if you bow your head and just close your eyes with me. Just try and remove the distractions from around. And if you feel comfortable, just put your hands out as though you are offering something to God. Hands of supplication, of giving. God, search our hearts. Is there something that we need to bring to you today, to confess today, to bring before the cross? Something that we've been holding on to or some darkness that we've been living in that's beneath our calling as your children. Search our heart, God. Shine a light on the sin that's in our life. In your mind's eye as as you do that, just imagine putting that in your hands and bringing it to the foot of the cross. Remember agape love is about choosing. God declares that when we bring our sin before him, 
He will forgive us and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we have to trust that that's the truth because so often we don't feel it. We don't feel holy. We don't feel cleansed. But God, you said as we confess our sins, as we bring them to you, that you will shine a bright light on them. You will cleanse us and make us holy. So trust right now as you come before him, as you confess in your heart that you are forgiven. And God, as we come before you and confess and we accept forgiveness, God, we pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Come and fill us up. Our hands, God, are open to receive more of you, that we would walk in the holiness that you have called us to. We receive your Spirit. Thank you, God, for your cleansing power. Thank you that you call us chosen. You call us your children. And you make us holy, even when we don't feel like we deserve it. Thank you for the gift of your grace, God. Would you help us to continue to walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom so that others may see Christ at work in us day by day, making us more like you as we learn to imitate you, as we walk in the power of your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we stand together, Paul said, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, what comes out of us as we speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Can we do that together this morning? I just want to encourage the prayer team to come down the front. Because as we sing this song, I recognise that for a lot of us, it's a real challenge to face some of the things that we're facing and to live out of the Holy Spirit within. And maybe this morning you just want somebody to stand alongside you and pray for an extra measure of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. So I want to invite you as we sing this song, as we sing words and hymns of praise to Him. If you want somebody to just pray a blessing over you, pray that you would be filled with the Spirit, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom and holiness that God has called you to. I want to encourage you to come down right now and somebody would love to stand and pray with you over some of the things that might still be tripping you up, but just that God would fill you afresh. Come on, let's do that now. Let's be filled afresh with His Spirit as we sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. 
Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. pray. If you love Jesus, come and stand around your brothers and sisters and pray a blessing of the Holy Spirit over them. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and around me Worthy of every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Yes. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Jesus, would you continue to make us more like you as we choose to imitate you? God, would you show us those around that need a touch of your love, that need some light in their darkness, God, that need words of wisdom that come from your Spirit living within us. God, help us to day by day choose to live holy, surrendered lives for you, imitating our heavenly dad. We wanna look more and more like you every day. We worship you. We give glory and honour to you. Fill us afresh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, church. Our prayer team will stay down here for a little while if you'd still like some prayer. But can I encourage you to jump out to the Thanksgiving stand, sign your name up uh, to show love next Sunday. But during this week, take up the challenge. Take your heart with you. How are you going to walk in love to those around you this week? Take a photo and uh, we'd love to share your stories next week. Bless you.